Welcome to Business Talk Sister Cock. I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode title is Building Business Buzz Before the Internet. And this is actually part two, and it is a sequential podcast for these two episodes. So go back and listen to the first one because you're going to get to know Aaron Brown, who I'm interviewing today, and get to know also the story of Dottie Power, a business owner from a hundred years ago who just civilized almost in a wilderness wild west town and thanks so much for being back with me today Aaron thanks Becca thanks for having me yeah okay so last we left off Dottie had been building this business essentially writing Vogue articles to educate people who are new to the Americas or North America about how to select fashionable clothing for um for specifically women and as she was doing this, so what, tell me what happens next. Uh, it does, does this go for a long time before she starts buying her competitor out or what, what all happens in that? Well, she, she ran the bazaar for almost 10 years okay. in competition with the Itasca Mercantile. Uh, and, and um, so she would have, was a well-established business by the time she just gradually, maybe that's a, a lesson you can kind of take from her is that she was playing the long game. Mm-hmm. She, she, she wasn't looking to get rich quick, but she was steadily building market share, steadily building the strength of her business, the, you know, um, a good staff. I mean, part of the story is that she had a very large staff of experts and people in different departments, different areas, um, and, and really kind of built relationships uh, that, that worked but she she built the business and gradually overtook her competition and you know gradually built this really amazing thing and and so i suppose that's that's one of the things is that she was always um conscious uh she was innovative and visionary but she was also cautious and conservative in some ways in how she didn't take a risk that she didn't feel she needed to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she didn't overextend herself in the process of building this business. And I think that's maybe a lesson we can take today, um, which is, you know, st- you know, build slowly and you can still, you can still achieve great success. Yeah. So well, I think, um, I think purchasing train cars full of fashionable New yeah. York clothing is a bit of a risk. For most well, and, and, and keep in mind, that was viewed as the acceptable risk of, yeah. of her, mm-hmm. her equation. And, and so that actually brings me to a couple of stories I think you're interested in, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, you know, today, uh, if you were going to do a, a, a transaction like that, you would say, geez, I'm going to take a, say a semi truck or a van and I'm going to go buy, Bulk you know, clothing, mm-hmm. 25% of all the money I have, I'm going to spend on this merchandise and I'm going to drive it from someplace far, far away to the place where I want it to go. And you just think, of course, about all the things that could go wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, you get in an accident, you could have a fire or damage, you get, you know, someone could steal stuff. Um, and, but we think today, like, well, that's okay. Uh, I've got some insurance. So mm-hmm. put insurance on that. Well, the insurance business was a little different back then. Uh, things were it was a little harder and more expensive to insure certain things. And um, Dottie went most of her career without the benefit of insurance in, hmm. in her business, which plays into the story in a couple of ways. The first prominent was that 
back in 19, I want to say 1914, shortly after she takes over the Itasca Mercantile and merges and makes the Itasca Bazaar, this big successful store in North Hibbing, mm-hmm. she uh, experiences one of the worst fires um, in, oh, in no. the village history. Yeah. So um, it was actually the business next door that started on fire, but these were all wood buildings. And the uh, actually the fire started in a, in a boarding house. And um, one of the things that made, this just kind of paints a picture of what the world was like at this time. Miners lived in, mm-hmm. a lot of them lived in boarding houses. They didn't mm-hmm. have families. They, most of them came from overseas and they were living mm-hmm. in these boarding houses. Well, my, they were at this time responsible for buying their own equipment, even buying their own blasting powder and blasting caps for the mining process. And they mm-hmm. were considered mm-hmm. contractors who were trying to mine as much as possible because they really just got paid for the amount of ore that they mine, not for the hours that they work. This was actually a big labor story too, but that's yeah, for well, we're gonna time. get we're gonna get into that when we talk okay. about business tycoons. We will. Next we will. Then maybe next. So, time. yeah. So, but but for this week's purposes, this means that these men sleeping in the boarding house under their bunks have boxes of explosives. <laughs> just, just chilling. No big deal. Yeah. Just you know, <laughs> next to their dirty clothes and uh-huh. boots, and and then a box of TNT or or some blasting caps more more likely to, the actual explosive material was considered too dangerous to keep around but the blasting caps were explosive and um and so somebody started a oily of course it's also a time when there's oily rags and barrels laying around and everybody smokes and and um so you can imagine that in one of the bar houses in the bottom floor one of these boarding house, flop house kind of places. Uh, fire starts in the back. It quickly engulfs the lower floor. Mm-hmm. Everybody, it's the middle of the night. Everybody runs out of their boarding house to survive. Uh, fortunately, no one is killed. But the fire hit those boarding, those bunkhouses. Mm-hmm. And it starts it's just popping like fireworks. Off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fireworks. It's, it's explosive. <clears throat> and so the fire spreads even faster. And it quickly hits the Itasca Bazaar next door and um um she lost um i want to say twenty five thousand dollars in 19 yeah uh, 12 or 13 which is the equivalent of a half a million dollars you know maybe in in our in our modern uh equation maybe not quite that much but a significant loss of merchandise yeah um the building stands she didn't lose her building that would have been worse, but um, she was, uh, that was a huge loss. And so one of the interesting stories about Dottie is not only that she built this amazing business, but she found ways to survive these setbacks of her era. Mm -hmm. Even without insurance, she uh, was able to salvage enough merchandise to continue operating. She was, went, she got on the train and went and got another train car full of dresses and stuff from New York. And, um, of course, you know, had to dip into her credit to to do mm-hmm. this. And then mm-hmm. so it's not a profitable year, but it was they were profitable enough that they could withstand this. And that's an interesting part of the story, too. Well, and I just want to point out, like profitable enough. Yes. But 
strategic enough to set aside funds in case, you know, mm-hmm. because you can be profitable, but also be spending like crazy yes. in your personal life or whatever, or for the business that you basically don't have anything left when a crisis happens. So mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive to have that kind of nest egg, like prepared just in case. They, they and, and that was what was interesting about Walter and, and Dottie, Walter, her husband, who was also a business person and lawyer, um, they lived, I won't say sparsely, they lived comfortably, but they lived um, within their means. They, they never, they, they had a nice house in mm-hmm. when they, when the town moved, they built a nice house, but you, you know, some of the old houses in, 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 in Hibbing, some of the fancier ones and their house wasn't the fanciest house. Mm-hmm. It was a nice house, but not super fancy. And, and they lived in a kind of an apartment situation in North Hibbing. They, they, they were very sparing with how they spent money. And so they, they didn't get ahead of themselves, even though they were very successful. They, they, they reinvested the money in their own businesses. And that made it so that they could withstand these, these major mm-hmm. setbacks. Um, but there was, um, I think the other story you might want to hear is, is how she handled um, things like thefts. And mm-hmm. um, this, of course, I've anyone been looking who knows forward the- to this. <laughs> Yeah, anyone who knows the retail business knows that, you know, theft is a, is mm-hmm. a concern, you know, especially in larger stores, you will see some of your merchandise walk off in the pockets of the thieves, and you try to prevent it, and you try to prevent loss, that's what it's called, loss prevention, and you might employ security guards, for instance, you might employ locks and, and protective measures, and she did all of these things, um, but um in one particular case, a group of, I guess we'd call them bandits. Um, it was an organized caper. Mm. Uh, infiltrated the Itasca Bazaar store after hours and made off with all the furs they could take. Mm. Now, fur, I know today furs are controversial and people don't wear them as often as they used to. But back in this time, in the early 1900s, furs are both very fashionable and in Hibbing, Minnesota, where it's 50 below. You have to wear it if you're going to stay warm. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the warmest things yeah. you can get, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, in fact, one of my favorite pictures of Dottie is of her as a younger woman when she's just starting her business wearing what looks like, um, I don't know, a dozen or two beavers. Um <laughs> She has this enormous <laughs> hat. It's okay. like a it's like a fine brimmed hat in the shape of a fine brimmed hat, but the whole thing is fur. And then her coat is all fur. Mm. And she, okay. she's got this kind of sly smile on her face and she just looks very fashionable, but also very warm. Yeah. And I think that was also <laughs> critical to her business is that mm-hmm. you know she she sold a place where you need clothes to survive, not yeah, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not just for fashion. So anyway, again, she's not insured. These furs aren't insured. So um, she uh, actually hires a private eye or a private detective, I guess you'd say, to, um, to track down these bandits who took the, the furs mm-hmm. and, and, and has some success. Uh, they went down to the cities. Of course, they were trying to resell them and make mm-hmm. money and Mm-hmm. And um, she recovers not all, but but most of the furs by hiring her own, you know, her own 
Pinkertons detectives, to go, yeah. <laughs> detectives to go down and get them back. Uh-huh. So just imagine like insurance is too expensive, but when someone steals all my A-list merchandise, I might have to hire, you know, a mercenary to go down and rough up the dudes who took it. Do you think that that's back. actually what happened or was it more just well, like no. it-, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that, but but keep in mind that's the kind of world we live in where yeah, you know, you don't know what you're gonna run into. And and of course they were working in, in they're working alongside police and the normal authority mm-hmm. figures to, but you know, the, the police forces, um, there were all kinds of things going on. This is prohibition by the way. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, so the idea that, um, you know, you drop all of the major cases you've got going on with prohibition just to find this lady's furs, um, you know, she knew that, that her case was not going to be a priority for the right. police department, certainly right. not in another town. Well, so, and keep in mind during this time, isn't this like also ha- like I know people that like they're great aunts and uncles or whatever are working for Al Capone during this time. There's a lot of there's a lot of what we would call organized crime. Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting from my research is we have kind of a movie understanding of prohibition and, and Al Capone and and while all of that was part of it is um it's what I would say that's unique that from what I've learned is that it was so widespread, it was almost routine and that the scale of it varied, you know, Al Capone was a big, you know, the big Chicago boss and one of the big Chicago bosses with a big organization, but there were smaller organizations that kind of worked in Alliance or in, mm-hmm. in tandem with the larger organizations. And a lot of those were very common in Northern Minnesota and, and places like it all over the country. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, Do- you know, Dottie uh, and her furs was an interesting little sideline for, for somebody who might normally be hunting up moonshine stills or maybe somebody who was hired to protect moonshine stills. You know, it's kind of, it, you know, it was all it was all uh-huh. higher at this time. So it was a very interesting time and there's a lot of moving parts. But um, just imagine as a business owner, like. Like I said, loss prevention is any retail business talks about loss prevention, but to actually have private detectives who hunt down bandits be part of that loss prevention for a local business, a local downtown business, that's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. But that's the world that Dottie lived in. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So we kind of have like all of this information on on how she grew and everything. No, where there is a building that was built after the move of Hibbing mm-hmm. that she was in. And which one is it? Because I want to know, I want to know where it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still standing and it's been uh, over the years. Uh, so in the late thirties, later on in the depression, Dottie retired, she sold her business, which became a Montgomery wards. Um, and so for a lot of people, older people today, they don't, they're too, they're too young to remember when Dottie Power owned the business. Mm-hmm. And so they think of it as the Montgomery Ward building. They call it the Monkey Wards building because uh, the kids would say it Monkey Wards. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what my mom called it. Uh, but uh, it, it closed as a Montgomery Wards back in, I want to say the 80s or something. So um, it is today, uh, the Crown Ballroom is in there. And, um, and there's a, there's a look like a a little kind of a, I don't know if it's a pawn shop, but there's, um, there's a few different businesses in there, but if you go in, you can kind of see the outline of what was once uh, they've 
compartmentalized the big open area, but you can go in there and see kind of the layout of how, how she had her departments laid out. And if you go up to the Crown Ballroom, you that would have been one of the spacious uh, merchandise mm-hmm. floors. I have been up there clothing. too. Lots of weddings yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. are up there and it's very, yep. very uh, fancy. Style. Yeah, that would have been that would have been her um, probably her women's clothing, the, the main showcase. Uh, I, I don't don't quote me on that. I'd have to check her directory uh, to make certain. But she had when she moved to South Hibbing and, and they built that building, they had a grocery store. They had, um, you know, housewares and things, you know, products like that. And then they had clothing and men's and women's departments, both of which were um, were very, you know, well traveled yeah i believe the borealis art guild is in that building right now so they might be yeah definitely interesting there's a number of businesses and and um one of the one of the things and i won't boy i'm gonna get myself in trouble but one of the challenges is um that building has had some um sewer issues in the basement okay um water issues and actually, that was one of the reasons that Dottie had to sell and retire back in the th- in the thirties. Hmm. And when the when the mining company, because the mining company built that building for her, she mm-hmm. paid for it. But they built it for her as part of their enticement program. Like we'll build you a building at cost, mm-hmm. and then you just have to pay us. And then it's it's worth it to us that you move because then the people will want to move and leave the old mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. So the mining company built it on spec for her and then she paid them back. Well, they, they built it in a way that the sewer capacity wasn't what it was supposed to be. And there was something with the hookup deep, deep underneath the building. She had to sue this, the village back in the thirties. Um, and, um, was kind of frustrated by that, which is funny because like, because like her brother is like the mayor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was, but he was, he, he wasn't the mayor anymore. By oh, the time, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. He, he had passed away at this point. And, and um, so this is near the end of her life. And so it's just interesting that like 80 years later, uh, one of the challenges in that building is the way the mining company built it in 19, um, in 19, what, 19 or 20 when they built that building. So, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's actually, yeah, it's getting to be a hundred years old now. And uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny that Dottie's problems from when she was alive are, are still with us today. Yeah. So that's kind of a, today as well. That's kind of okay. So another question I had was that she seemed pretty, pretty um, educated in promoting things and everything. So how did she stay connected to the community to, to create buzz for like, Oh, this is what's going on. Was, was it really because of her Mm -hmm. relationship with her husband or was there more than that, that she did and participated in? She was a leader in the business community, even beyond her relationship with her husband. Um, She was one of the founders of the retail association which was a group that tried to build shared buzz for the town mm. uh, while she competed with um, uh, other business owners like Feldman's was another big uh, department store in Hibbing. And so he was her competition, but she also worked like, uh, like those fashion shows she would do. She would actually almost make them like competitions and, and uh, um, okay. the, uh, the, let the, the other businesses would come that would get more people to come. And the, the logic was even if some of the people go to Feldman's and buy their dresses there, if everybody's excited about the new dresses, I'm going to benefit. 
And she mm-hmm. felt confident enough in her merchandise that she wasn't worried about no one buying her dresses. She felt she had the best. So, um, and, mm-hmm. and so she, she would work with, she was a leader, even among her competitors, uh, they would, they would join together and, and into whenever they could mutually benefit from mm-hmm. something, she would work, work with the business community. She was prominent in the, in the, what they called the commercial club, which is today we would call it the chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, she was um, conscious of her community and uh, was very charitable. She was one of the leading givers of, of money for charitable things in the community. So she was a, a, a good citizen of her community that way. And so she was engaged, yeah, uh, on her own. She was a tough lady. Um, I didn't, like I said, she was one of these stories I found along my main research. So I didn't get into impressions of her because there's so many clerks and people who used to work for her that then stayed in town until they were old and they told stories. And um, she was tough, uh, considered tough, fair, very good businesswoman, but very tough. And and it's kind of interesting watching the progression uh, just in the photograph, I have some photographs of here of her mm-hmm. and, and watching that, that young woman with the sly look and the giant fur hat <laughs> who has clearly got the world, uh, you know, in her palm and, and, and feels like she can conquer anything. You can see by the time she's an older woman and, and you see her picture that she now knows how the world really works and she's mm. not taking any of your guff, you know, uh. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, it was tough. It was, it was, you had to be tough. And when you think about all the things stacked against her as a woman owning her own business mm-hmm. in this time, mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's uh, pretty remarkable. And she had to be, had to be tough to survive. Right. It. Well, and that's something like, I mean, that, that I definitely take away from it is first of all, like she saw a vision for something in a completely wild west that was never there. And most people probably would have said, you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then to go after it consistently throughout setback and setback and setback to just see that progression in her life is amazing because I think there's a lot of women today that would say, well, the odds are still stacked against me that I can't do things or whatever. And it's like, but look at this person that took those kind of strategic calculated risks and surrounded herself with the right kind of um, relationships to be able to be successful. Because I, I mean, that aspect of like making a fashion show a competition is actually like, I think pretty genius. (laughs) Like, and that's cool because it builds uh, camaraderie basically within, with even within your own competitors of, we can all benefit in some way to making our community a place where people want to come because we, we have something no one else does. Right. And I think that that's amazing. Like very, very few business owners today. I see doing that in a big way. Yeah. And, and for a generation, Hibbing had an advantage over its neighbors because of that, because of Dottie's leadership and the relationships that she formed with fellow business owners. And, and they all benefited. They all made money. They all did well mm-hmm. uh, be- because of the fact that they all wanted the same thing, which was customers. And if, every, if customers are excited to come from nearby towns, even from Duluth, to come and see the, the things you're doing in this little town in Hibbing, well, then, then they all benefit. You know, Maybe today the customer buys a dress here or, or, or at the other store. But they're buying dresses from somebody, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it all works out in the end. 
mm-hmm. if everybody's doing better. And then, of course, coupled with the political story, which is miners finally getting paid a little bit more, being treated a little more fairly, and then having more money to go spend in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit next week. I'm uh-huh. so excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the book you're writing and how people can find you. And then we're going to transition to the gawk portion. Cool. So it's um, minnesotabrown.com is my website and blog. Uh, and at Minnesota Brown is my handle on Twitter and Facebook. And then if you want to hear more about this story, you definitely want to check out the podcast that Carl Jacob and I did called Power in the Wilderness at powerinthewilderness.com, which will be a book shortly that I have written. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also find it on Apple Podcasts because that is where I listen to it. And that's mm-hmm. why Aaron is now on my podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's how we, it all comes full circle. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am excited about, okay, talking about what else was going on in Hibbing and, and kind of the community as a whole. So tell me a little bit about in, in the gawk portion about how the, the way you came into Hibbing and, and how it was set up with like, cause we were just kind of talking beforehand, like, man, like they had paid band members like to play music and like all this stuff going on in a time like now, I don't think a city would spring for that. (laughs) Right. Well, no, they wouldn't. And, and, and part of it was the unique circumstances of the time and the laws of the time that allowed that allowed a village like Hibbing to to tax um, its mining interests because there was so much money in the ground, even just a tiny, tiny little fraction of it became a lot of money for the village to use in ways like having a professional uh, concert band, having uh, luscious, beautiful parks that were full of the finest flowers, greenhouses with tropical flowers and fruits inside them. That just uh, amazes me. Like, yeah, you can I go, just, you can go yeah. have a pineapple. <laughs> like, just think about like, yeah, I know we can go buy a pineapple at the grocery store now. And that's not that exciting. But think about in a time in, in Hibbing when, you know, the grocery stores don't have those kind of products and you can go to the city greenhouse and see pineapples and jasmine and mm-hmm. and 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 these rich exotic kind of plants and fruits growing in your own village and um and and it was it was pretty amazing and so um that's that's what what made it interesting and one of the the things cuz coming to hibbing like you said if you're going to go to duluth which was the nearest you know city that some people might have heard of mm-hmm. or even minneapolis let's just say cuz most people have heard of minneapolis you come up from Minneapolis on a train and you, you're you're coming up north to Duluth. And Duluth kind of looks like a city. So you're like, okay, this is a city. Well, let's get on the other train that goes to him. Well, as soon as you get up the hill to leave Duluth and you're heading north through what was once recently at this time, an enormous forest of beautiful white pines as big as the sequoias practically out west is this enormous white pine forest. Well, that's all gone. It's mm-hmm. nothing but stumps mud stumps nastiness erosion running water everywhere and you and the roads are impassable you can uh, when it's dry in the summer you can take a horse cart up there but it's just a mess and you're on this train and you get to hibbing and uh you actually go through several towns that all look kind of dumpy 
and then you get to Hibbing. I love, and, I love that. Like the precursor is yeah, very like you're going through un, all these unexceptional. <laughs> yeah, they're, they 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 try. They have their parks and things, but the parks aren't what you see when you when the train comes through. The train comes through the depot. You're seeing mining warehouses. You're seeing mm-hmm. company warehouses. You're seeing wholesale warehouses. You're seeing the steam cloud coming out of the municipal power plant, maybe. Um, and it's just okay. We're we're out in the Tulies now. It's kind of gross. Then you get to Hibbing, where the train depot is across from what they call Masaba Park at the time, and it's got rose bushes and it's got a a, a concert a, a gazebo in the center where the concert band might be playing two or three shows a week, and hundreds of people gathered to hear the shows when they were on. And um, you can see a ball field, a base, one of the nicest ball fields in northern Minnesota. So baseball is the hot sport at the time. And it's this beautiful green baseball field and this, these luscious gardens, public gardens, and a band playing. And then you get off and a block up the street, you have this retail district that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a very attractive town. And that was strategic. Um, this goes beyond just Dottie Power, but like Victor Power, this is what Victor Power, her brother-in-law, the mayor, wanted the town to be as well. Yeah. It's and- like essentially almost an entire marketing scheme of mm-hmm. like, why are towns not laid out like this to produce that economic development of like, ooh, that almost like the FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, <laughs> part like, of it is, yeah. what is here? <laughs> Part of it is that you had this universal experience. Everyone came on the train. And so you had this centralized entry mm-hmm. point. Now, mm-hmm. now everyone's in their own car and you drive in on the freeway, which just has a certain look and, and you come through the you know, suburbs, quote unquote, but mm-hmm. the, the development track, the, 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 the chain businesses, the gas stations, the, the, you know, stuff along the highway. And, and you don't get that universal. Everyone comes into town the same way. And, and has this welcome area. You see welcome signs all over. Like you see the sign for Hibbing is like five miles out of town over by the airport, you know? And so, you know, you're driving mm-hmm. like, oh, we're in Hibbing. It's like, we're in Hibbing. We're, we're in Hibbing. It's a bunch of we're fields and an airport. A bunch of fields <laughs> and industrial stuff. And here's some storage yeah. containers. And, and, and then you finally get to the part that looks like a town. And that's, you know, minutes later. So mm-hmm. that's that's one of the reasons it's hard to do. And Hibbing is not unique in that regard. That's that's typical of right, a lot of small right. towns. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so, you know, it, it is a, a way to look back and say, well, if you if what you want is that wow factor when you get to the town, you got to figure out how people are getting to your town and try to create that shared experience of, mm-hmm. of what they're seeing when they get there. Which is so strategic between like mm-hmm. everything going on in the town at the time, like the business people are on the same page, the government's on the same page, like mm-hmm. the citizens are on, like, it's just pretty interesting to see how like economic development in the middle of nowhere just like can be completely blow people's minds, like that they're yeah. not expecting in any way. So Ah, uh, this has been such a great podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so thank yeah. you for being with me today. I have loved yeah. it. And yeah. if you enjoyed this podcast, listening to it, uh, you should give it a review on Spotify and tune in next week because we are going to be talking about business tycoons and how they built their wealth in Minnesota. <laughs>